This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering one billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxes with me, your host, Phil Paluccia. I'm joined by another Phil today because all great people in the world are called Phil. Um, so I'm joined by Philip Webb from Investors in Community. This is a movement. I'm going to call it a movement. It's a global movement that you need to hear about and need to be involved in. So I'm really pleased to have you here with us, Phil. Great to be here. Thanks, sir. No, you're most welcome. So for our, for our listeners that haven't come across you before, uh, they're frantically Googling your name. Do you want to kind of give us a, a bit of an insight into, into who you are and what you're all about? Sure, thanks. Well, Investors in Community was, was born really about four years ago. I was, uh, I've been involved with private sector business most of my life, and I suddenly was found myself riding a motorbike for charity, uh, which is not unusual to do ride motorbikes, but uh, we raised some money for a little charity and, and discovered the problems, I guess, that most small charities have is that they're in this sort of little circle of we're poor, therefore we're a charity, therefore we're poor. And they find it hard to find sponsors and people who will help them. Uh, and it struck me as being a bit odd uh, in my naivety and my ignorance. I hadn't realized that there were many, many small charities out there struggling every day to find resources and money and volunteers and gifted items. And they just searched around amongst their small group of friends and family and associate colleagues and that was about the extent of their knowledge. And that confused me a little bit as much as it disturbed me, because clearly small charities do some fantastic work out there. I mean, at a local level in our communities, it's not just charities, it's community groups, it's schools, it's all the not-for-profit organizations that help us through really difficult periods of our lives. And it's a really important part of our economy. And I realized it was massively overlooked. So I set about looking at the relationships, I guess, between those little charities, the bigger charities and businesses and people. And I discovered it was very fractured. And I was a little bit upset about this because people mm -hmm. like to give and they often don't know how to give or who to give to. So sad statistic is that about three quarters of all the corporate giving, that's businesses giving to charities, three quarters of it go to about 5% of the charities. So why is that? Well, it's people they know. It's the usual suspects. It's people who brand themselves, get themselves out there. And that's the problem. The little charities, the smaller groups that do some incredible work, don't get a look in. So I wanted to fix it. So using my ex-IBM experience, I brought together an online platform called investorsincommunity.org. Uh, we set about to build a profile system which allowed the charities and the community groups and the schools and the not-for-profits to use our platform, launch lots of little projects if they wish to, asking for volunteers, gifting and money. And on the other side of the platform were businesses and individuals who wanted to help. And that includes most businesses. So we set up a relationship system on the, on the platform to allow that help to happen. And the really important point is, because there are other platforms out there doing similar things, but not bringing together volunteering, gifting and money in one place, we're unique in that respect, but they do the money side and they charge. And that really gets my goat, the charging aspect of it. So people who need help, they're having little slithers of money removed from their donations, charges, credit card charges, you name it. And I said, no, I have to stop. So our platform is utterly free for all those good causes, the charities, the community groups, the schools, the not-for-profits, utterly free, never charged a single bean ever. Mm, I love it, man. It's powerful. And and um, you're quite right. I mean, I, I it make when you talk about it, it makes perfect sense. But I I think I'd have fallen into that category as well of people who hadn't quite thought about that, hadn't realised that these these small sort of not for profits and these small charities and, and organisations were, were struggling. Um, 
but it, but it makes total sense, doesn't it? I mean, I've, I've seen it not just from a corporate side, but from a sort of wills and probate side. People will want to leave a percentage of their estate to a charity, but it's always to the the big charities that get advertised on TV. It's like, well, who are you going to leave it to? Oh, I'm going to leave it to ABC because I see their adverts all the time. Yeah. Um, they've got oodles of cash. I mean, they really are. Some of them are very wealthy indeed. But if I told you this, where you are sat, where any of your listeners are sat right now, draw a five-mile circle around yourself. Statistically speaking, in the UK, there are 140 charities within that five-mile mm. radius. But I bet you couldn't name them because I can't. So no. they are invisible to those people who might want to help but haven't a clue they exist. I couldn't name you more than two local charities. That's, that's the reality of it. No, seriously. Um, and, and I love charities, uh, but I... I probably couldn't name you more than two, maybe three at a push within that five mile radius. So what, what was the statistic? How many hundred and 140, but there's no shame in not knowing who they are. You just simply haven't had the experience of bumping into them. And until you do, you don't know they exist. And some of them very small operating in very niche areas, do some incredible work. And I was reminded of a little interesting point at some point in our lives, as we usually, as we age, hopefully not too early in our lives, we're all going to become a service user of a charity. And that really drives home how important this is. We will all use the services of a charity at some point, hopefully later in our life, but nevertheless, we're going to use them. And we hope they're still going to be there when we come to that point where we're asking for help. So it's an interesting little point that drives home the, the necessity, the, the critical bit to keep our charity sector live, vibrant and thriving and connected with our society and the donors that help them to survive. Well, what's interesting about this actually is it, it, it kind of appeals to people like me as well who um, I like giving charitable donations, but I don't particularly like giving to big charities. Um, and there's a whole, whole load of reasons behind that. But I think one of the biggest ones was I, I once, I won't say who, but I w was once in an office and the office department directly opposite us in this business park was a, a major charity. And uh, the owner drove a Bugatti, uh, like the, the CEO drove a Bugatti. And I remember thinking, nobody who runs a charity should be driving a Bugatti. Like there's, there's, there's something very, very wrong here. Um, and then, you know, the, all the exec team would show up and they'd all be showing up in, in these absolutely stunning brand new cars. And they're the kind of people who 24 months later, the new one's out. So they're going to get that one. And I remember thinking... Like this money could be going to such better use. Like I appreciate you should be paid for what you do because you're doing a good job. And at the end of the day, you're growing, growing that reach and growing that network. But surely there has to be a limit when it comes to that, that side of things. I mean, if, if people knew that that's where their charitable donations were going, I imagine they, they think twice. So for me and my family, we, we much prefer to kind of give direct to source because um, we know where it's going. We know that the money that we donate is going to this person or this organization, and this is what's going to happen with it. Um, so it sounds like you've kind of bridged that gap at being the, the middle party to make that happen, but also at the same time, giving a much wider reach and exposure to some of these organizations and, and very good causes that, as you quite rightly say, are on our doorstep and we don't know they exist. Well, you raise an interesting point because what charities actually do with the money is a matter of conjecture. So some of them will spend every single penny on the thing they're supposed to be focused on. But at the end of the day, big charities are in fact businesses and they are run as businesses. Uh, but the way you perceive a charity as an individual is you want to help the end user, the person that actually needs the help, the, the elderly person, the child, the animal, whatever it is that you're supporting, 
at the very end of that process is where you'd like as much money to go to as possible. And here's the rub. The Charities Commission and all the regulatory bodies are, are relatively ineffective at, pr at producing a framework to say how much of your donation should go. And you often see the adverts, you know, 32 pence out of, the, out of a pound goes to the end user good cause. You think, well, where's my other 68 pence yeah. go to? And you think, well, that's not quite right. And so we look for as much what we call impact as possible. And the word impact is, is the golden holy grail, if you like, of where donors like to see their money going. They want to see as much impact in the cause they, they want to support. So this word impact is now prevailing throughout the whole industries uh, because the impact outcome is critical to be measured. If, for example, the big charities had to account for your money with an impact statement at the end of it, I wonder what they might say. Because if they're using a lot of it to fuel the Bugatti, as you put it, um, yeah. then the impact statement would clearly need to reflect that. And that was an issue for me when I set this platform up. So two things have happened. Number one, remember I said when the charities joined our platform, they could launch lots of little projects asking for volunteering, gifting, and money. Those projects are, are legal briefcases, if you like, that says, when I give money to this project, you are only allowed to use my money for that project. That's really important. That narrows down the opportunity for these larger organizations to spend it on something else that you may not have intended your money to go towards. So that's the purpose of the projects, is it legally constrains the, the charity to spend the money on what you think you've given the money to. That's important. But at the end of the project, the charity is also duty-bound to produce what they call an impact report. And the impact report says, what actually happened? What went on with that money? What did you do with that money? What was the outcome? Send me a picture of the smiley faces or, or, the, or the grinning dog or whatever it is that you have as an outcome. Uh, and that's the impact statement. So impact statements, legally bound projects are our attempt to try to introduce some form of regulation into the way that our money is used when it's donated and how it eventually gets to the end user recipient. Mm, I love that. And I think that's an absolute must because it's only going to get worse as well, isn't it? As governments are, I mean, we're talking about the, the UK government, but governments globally are taking corporate social responsibility more seriously as well they should. And, you know, companies now have to have a certain score. They have, I mean, it's called different things in each place, but ultimately it comes down to, you know, the, the tax man will be offering some form of relief or there'll be a higher tax bracket if somebody doesn't kind of get involved in things that are, uh, are, are socially responsible. And many businesses that I've kind of seen over the years, and I imagine it will continue to be the case, kind of see that as a, well, we'll donate X amount to charity and then that's our bit done. But if, unless we, we, we fix this trend, all that's going to happen is these these organizations that, as we say, are taking 60 pence in every pound that gets donated to them are just now going to be receiving huge corporate donations from businesses of all different sizes all over the country. So essentially, you, they just become richer. But the impact, as, as, you, as you put it, the impact on the end user doesn't actually improve all that much. It just makes these charitable businesses, which seems like a, a, an oxymoron, that doesn't it? But these charitable businesses, it, it makes them... Uh, it makes them richer, but doesn't actually help the end user. So you're describing what we, we are roughly describing as a tsunami of change, the burning bridge, if you like. Businesses now, um, right across the world, but particularly in the Western, Western part of the world at the moment, are now being driven by several factors. Number one is legislative. So very shortly, businesses will need to physically report what they do in what we call the ESG. That's Environmental Social Governance. So what have you actually done as a business, reported in detail in your company accounts? 
And that's for the big companies. But don't forget, every big company has a very long supply chain. So that will trickle down to just about every company that deals with any, any kind of formal B2B activity. That's the first thing that happens. So first one is legal and governance. The second one is the consumer, because we are now making informed choices as consumers, particularly the younger generation, the younger you know, Gen, Gen Y, Gen Zs, who are going out and they're choosing where they buy their stuff from. If you take the vegan movement, for example, I mean, you, I didn't know you could buy vegan shoes and vegan rucksacks and all sorts of things made with products which are not derived from any animal products whatsoever. It's all basically vegan or certified. The same thing's happening. We're looking for social impact. We're looking for those good companies because they're the companies we're going to spend our money with. And, and it extends beyond that. It goes to employment. Uh, I know several young people that actually choose a company with a lower salary because they say, well, yeah, but they're a really great business to work for. Look at all the charity yeah. work they do. Look at what they stand for, the values. And so younger people are choosing to go and work for places and shop in places for businesses who demonstrate proper, authentic concern for the planet and for communities. So that's our, our running pecking order. Then look at investors. Now, investors who invest in shares are now moving away from what my chairman fondly calls sin stocks. The sin stock is the usual fossil fuels, obviously, but it's also those companies that produce stuff using forced labor or child labor in, in some you know Far Eastern country. And so the sin stocks are now being shunned and the money is switching remarkably quickly to those companies that can demonstrate a social responsibility. So that's our investors, that's our customers, that's our staff, that's legal and governance. And so all these drivers are happening and they're happening right now. And more and more so, people are saying, well, okay, you've said you do all this good stuff, but can you prove it? It's a little bit like the fisherman's tale. When you go fishing, the, the morning fish is six inches long. By the time you describe it to your, your partner later on, it's two feet long. It's the yeah. old thing. You extrapolate, you, you perhaps exaggerate a little bit about what you've done. And the ESG reporting, the social reporting that's required, says, how do you verify it? And that's where investors and community come in because our platform built on an IBM blockchain platform demonstrates clear evidence and proof that what you say you did, you actually did. And that's really important going forwards. So lots of drivers happening here in society. But I would say this, the, the whole issues that we see around the planet and the environment and society, governments all over the planet are trying to establish the legislative framework, but that's a very slow process. It's very cumbersome. Corporations are doing what they need to do. But the real groundswell, and we've seen this with people like Greta Thunberg, uh, come from people. And it's about our behavioral changes and our, our changes in the way we live our lives, which is actually going to make the difference. So investors and community has the ability for every individual, whether you're employed or not employed, to actually have an account of giving on this platform. And then you can get involved. And it's that engagement. It's that whole staff and employee and general public moving towards a better place, which is going to give us a great outcome in the future. I mean, I don't want to say like a sweeping statement because it's it's not true of everybody, of course, but I think there's, um, I mean, there's two things I'd say to what you've just said. Firstly, I'd say that doing a lot of work with that investment community, I've seen the investors who are changing where they put their money, to use the phrase of your colleague, they're moving it from sin stocks and they're putting it into kind of other businesses. Um, and they're doing so because they are aware of that 
they're aware of that consumer movement, right? They're not necessarily doing it because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do in business because pretty soon those sin stocks are going to be coming under a lot of pressure from the consumer. So it's being it's very consumer led. Then I know other investors, you know, VCs, private equity, investment banks, etc., who they're actually diversifying their portfolio to to actually make this at the forefront of what they do because it's the right thing to do. Like I, I've um. There was an investor who was a um, ex Wall Street banker, sold his investment bank, and, and now helps a lot of SMBs. And he was actually on the podcast a few weeks ago, I'm trying to remember whether that episode's been released yet. Um, I think it has actually. But um, so some of the listeners may have even heard this episode by now. But but Peter Goldstein is a great example of this. You know, the two things that are at the forefront of Peter's mind when he's trying to identify a business that he wants to work with is number one, the quality of the leadership team. And number two is their social impact. And to hear that from somebody with that much experience in the investment community is music to my ears because, you, you know, at no point he's he talked about his profit or how quickly he's going to be able to exit or how much of the business he's going to get a slice of. I mean, look, he's a businessman, so I'm sure these things are important. But the fact that they're not in his top two you know, are, are really heartwarming. But as you said, it's also that that community movement. So governments, I mean, don't get me started on governments, but, go, you know, governments will take action when there is pressure to take action. If there is no pressure to take action, it's rare that they voluntarily go and make big sweeping changes just, just because it's the right thing to do, right? Um, and, you know, I like the fact that there is so much more of a, uh, and it, and as you said, it, it is a lot of the younger generations. I mean, it's not just the younger generations, but I think it's it's nice that it's almost being led by them. You know, they're the the consumers of tomorrow, the homeowners of tomorrow, the leaders of tomorrow, and they're saying we're not okay with this. We want this to be different. Why is this designed this way? Um, and what I love about your platform is that it allows people not just to kind of bring money to the table, but also to bring time because time for, for a lot of people is their most valuable commodity. Um, and, you know, if I remember thinking to myself, like if, if I wanted to get involved in a, in a charitable project in my area, I wouldn't even know where to start. I wouldn't know where to start. Like, do, do you Google them and see what comes up? Or, you know, I remember years ago, um, this is genuinely what I did. I Googled. And I found a local football team and I messaged them and said, look, ex-professional player, I've done my coaching badges, sat at home on a weekend, do you fancy some help with coaching? And they said, oh, it's it's fate that you've rang us right now because we were about to tell the under 12-year-olds that they didn't have a team anymore because they didn't have a coach. And it was like, this. I mean, how crazy is that? I mean, there's loads of people that would have helped if they'd have known. We just, we just don't know about these things. Yeah, that's right. I mean, your first point about investors, I mean, investors are not daft. They'll put their money where there is sustainability. That's the ability to carry on doing business and where there is low risk. And so risk and sustainability are two of the major factors you, you account for when you when you invest your money in anything. And a business that doesn't have social impact at the heart of what it does in the future will have a serious question mark, I think, over its sustainability. Those consumers are going elsewhere. Uh, they'll, the employees will go elsewhere. The sustainability of their investment is under under doubt. Uh, and the risk, of course, the risk associated with suddenly the company they've invested in being exposed for some kind of, you know, child labor activity in, in Bangladesh or in terms of they've, they've not given back in some way, named and shamed um, compared to other colleagues. So investors are canny. They'll put their money where they can see a lowering risk and a greater sustainability. That's demonstrated by the social impact stuff and the ESG measurements that are being introduced. 
So that's that's that point about uh, the investor side. I think you're right. I mean, people generally, if I said to you, right, to, you know, Saturday afternoon, what should we do for charity? You don't generally say, well, I, I go to the usual suspects, you know, the the animal shelters, the 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 the, the, the care homes, and let's see if I can volunteer. I'll phone them up and I'll ask them, and they'll say, no, I'm sorry, we can't do that short notice. So the choice and the ability to plan what you do and help what you do, and making volunteering almost a social aspect of your life is is becoming more and more desirable. And so that platform demonstrates through local projects those that you're able to get involved with. And in the future, not too distant future, we're going to have geo-positioning as an option. So you can just sort of search within a four-mile radius of your home and say, right, let's me and my friends, let's go and do something together. Um, we can't think what to do. We've seen the films at the cinemas. The, the meals out don't sound too great anymore. Let's go and do something positive in our lives. The sun's out. Let's go and volunteer. And so yeah. that aspect of it, particularly, it's, it's more natural to the younger generations, but I don't see why it shouldn't apply to anybody, frankly. No, so choice you're, you're project, right. really important. People have choice as to what they do, how they do it. Everybody's different. Uh, you know, pro, pro bono or giving your time to anybody, it's the greatest gift of life is the time because that's who you are. That's what you've got. Uh, giving your time is often the greatest thing you can do for any charity. It's not all about money. Um, it's not about objects. It's about getting involved, transferring your skills, mm. you know, forming a, a team, doing something positive, impacting somebody else's life and seeing them smile at the end of it. That's worth a million. Um, yeah, I was going to say, some things are worth way, far more than the monetary value. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious. I want to ask you this question, and I've not asked you this off air, so hopefully this is okay to ask you. But is there um, is there a, a limit as to who can get involved? I mean, let's use the example of. I mean, I, I feel like I'm bullying them here, but if I call them the Bugatti charities, because now everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? If they wanted to get involved, can they? Is is part A of that question, and part B is if they can. Have you seen much of an appetite from them to want to get involved, given the fact that you've obviously, as you said, with the projects, it's a, no, no, you are committing that if everybody that donates here, their time, their finances, their resources, it only gets put to that. So have you seen much of an appetite from them to kind of get involved in what you're doing? So for a small charity, this is absolutely a no-brainer. They get maximum marketing exposure. It's all free. They get listed on our platform. The projects are clearly visible. Companies, individuals, they haven't even heard of them, now can see them and seek to support them. It's absolutely no issues whatsoever. An interesting thing has happened with the, I sort of call them middle to large size. They're, they're probably, you know, not quite Bugattis, but perhaps, you know, perhaps um, E-Pace e Jaguars, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. It's one of those, <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> the middle of the road and the very large ones. Now, they have preyed on us for years i'll use that word they have preyed on their donors for years uh they send them emails they send them letters they said you gave five pound last month would you give 10 pounds this month to help this poor person and they put a picture of a small child in front of you and pull at your heartstrings and to be honest people are fed up with it yet they continue to do it i bumped into a charity a while ago that actually was delighted at the fact that this, she'd gone to the deathbed of somebody that was previously related to the charity and got her to change her will and now the charity will benefit. She was so proud of it. I was sickened. Um, but the charities yeah. have turned into machines, the big ones. They turn into machines. They have, to, they have databases that any corporate will be proud of. And they basically farm that database for as much money as they can get all the time. They don't like us. And they don't like us for two reasons. Number one, they want the data. And we say, no, you can't have it. We have the data. You're not having the data. 
They want to know specifically that John or Sally, where they live and the postcode and date of birth, because they want to know who they are, because they want to add them to that database. They want to mine them. Bombard them with rubbish. And so mm. they don't like us because we don't release the data. And that's the principle I'll never give up. So that's Love the it. first thing. Uh, the second thing is, I think you're right, the, the accountability through projects on our platform, as opposed to people direct, I mean, they can direct donate on our platform, of course they can. But if they go through a project, it is a restricted fund project. So they have to spend it and be seen to legally agree that's what they're going to spend their money on. And so the big charities, uh, they're having it quite easy, some of them. They, they will complain they've got no money, but frankly, a lot of them are very, very wealthy um, and they have a lot, a lot of cash sloshing around. So, And that's not why we give to them. We give to them because we want to help the outcome, don't forget. But the outcome is now becoming almost, a, oh, by the way, we also help cancer research or we help you know, this particular section of our community or we give additional water to people in Africa, by the way. But the main substance of the business of the charity is as costly as any corporate. And that's not why we engage. We have this belief that charities should give as much as possible. And by the way, charities have to run as a business. They have to have a car. They have to have an office. They have to pay people correctly, but in a respectful way. And I think it's that respect to the donor in building a, a monolith charity and, and refusing to change, I think, will eventually cause... I think peer pressure around them to, to cause them to demise. I think people are now getting wise to it. They're not daft anymore. They don't sort of simply pick up the phone on the TV advert and give anymore. They want to know more about it. And so our platform seeks to give the opportunity to be honest, transparent, and authentic. And if you can demonstrate that, you've got the eyes and ears of donors, of businesses, and individuals who might then choose to help. It's, a, it's an important shift. There's a little thing actually is um, I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It's called a thousand year decade, and we actually we actually at the start of it, the thousand year decade says this: in the next decade, from 2020 to 2030, we are going to make as much progress and change happen as we have done in the previous thousand. Wow! And prior to COVID, I said no chance. People won't do that because people don't change that easily. But then COVID happened, and everything changed. So now, almost like everything's up for grabs, the new norms are starting to settle down and people's attitudes and approaches to the way they do stuff has changed. And I think one of the massive things that came out of the COVID year of 2020 was the heartwarming stories. I mean, people helping. It was a great leveler. Suddenly, you're the multi-billionaire, millionaire, whatever they are, and the person who was on universal credit were equal in status during that lockdown. Nobody had any more rights or abilities to spend money. It was actually an equal playing field. And I think that was a very sobering time, as much as it was traumatic for many, and I certainly won't belittle the effect it had on people, but it was a very interesting time to see society starting to what we call level up a bit. Mm. And I think that leveling up was quite insightful, and people people saw it happening. It was on the news every night, and it was, it was actually incredible. And it's my ambition with our platform to level up society permanently. Forget the economies. You can level up as many economies as you want, but the people, stuff that makes the world go around us as communities working together caring about each other that's the thing that needs to be leveled up that's the thing that needs to be sorted mm, i mean and when we talk about you know when we mention the word wealth for example like wealth creation people think about wealth just in the financial aspect but actually wealth is is love it's 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 caring it's it's love you know the wealth of friendship the wealth of family the wealth of knowledge um you know the wealth of spirituality the wealth of health you know the the we we are seemingly creating more and more wealth in every aspect of our lives now um and i think that is largely down to the lockdown period as you as you rightly said i mean i i think about 
my own street where I am in the UK. I mean, I was pretty annoyed because I wanted to be in Cape Town. I didn't want to be in the UK. Um, and I was stuck here. And actually, my neighbors were lovely. And we we all got to know each other far better. It was all far more caring. Um, you know, there was a few people in the street that didn't have a car. So others would kind of go and say, well, look, when we are allowed to go and do shopping, would you like us to kind of do yours for you? And people would, you know, almost do little things unexpectedly. Like, um, I remember there was a lady who uh, she had a birthday and it was it was quite sad because obviously her her children and grandchildren couldn't come and visit her. So everybody in the street bought her like flowers and chocolates and all kinds of stuff with their shop and just left it on her doorstep. But what was quite special was we'd all kind of separately had the same idea to do this. Um, and so we, you know, you look out and realize, oh, someone else has done it now, and there's loads of stuff. She's going to wake up and find all this stuff on her doorstep, and and it was lovely. It was really lovely. And then you you know you hear. You know, you hear harrowing stories, yes, of, of stuff that the sort of NHS staff went through. But you also hear, I mean, we called them heroes. And I, I dislike that word because it gets overused. But I, I genuinely think it was perfectly appropriated for the, for those people within the NHS who literally, in the face of danger, went and did, you know, double shifts back to back just to be there to, to be there to support somebody and to give them the care that they need and hold their hand and be there to comfort them when their family can't be there with them. I mean, as a nation, we are forever in the debt of these people, but we're not alone in the UK. Stories like this were happening worldwide. Um, and, you know, I saw an image once and I, I, I've actually saved it to my phone. Um, I don't, I, I wish I knew who said it because I would give them the credit for it, but it was, um, it was an image of these very, very wealthy people. And you know, they're wealthy because they kind of got the, you know, the traditional, um, you know, top hat and they, they, they all look like the Monopoly man kind of thing, right? And they've got big piles of cash in front of them and they're playing on a big Monopoly board, playing a big game of Monopoly. But the Monopoly board is on the backs of normal people who are just bent over being the table for this thing, for this game. And underneath it says, all you have to do is stand up and their little game is over. And I I, I remember saving it and liking it and thinking, yeah, I, I, I really like that because you're so right i mean people have the power to to change anything we want in this world but the problem is we're, we've all kind of been and let's be honest we've all been pretty selfish in the way that we look at life and and as you say covid as a period has been a great leveler that's that's created far more of that community spirit so as on top of loving what you're doing i think this is the perfect time for it because there is now an outpouring of people who want to help they want to give their time they want to get more involved in what's going on in their community and with those around them and and don't know how absolutely i think it was uh, richard dawkins that said there's no such thing as altruism he said and uh, and some people contested it but you always get something out of what you give away uh, whatever it is whether it's your time or your money or your, your your assets or whatever it is you will get something out of it and the, the essence of our, our platform and our movement boils down to two words we've done quite a lot of work on this we've considered all the things you've just talked about phil and we talked about society and people helping and stratas of society but actually the act of giving your time or an asset or money or whatever it is or even just your thoughts and your conversation part of yourself generates these two words and the two words are really simple it's called feeling good yeah and feeling yeah. good is something you you can't necessarily you know achieve you have to enter a process and give away something. You always feel better giving it away rather than receiving it back. People always say to me at Christmas, oh, I love giving at Christmas, but I hate receiving stuff. It's embarrassing. I don't like it so much. 
And I love making people happy. And it's the same principle. It's this whole feeling good thing. And that's the essence of what we're trying to create here. And we're trying to spread this not just in the UK, but around the world, actually. And we have interest from the Americas, India and, and the UAE right now. So interestingly, this is not just an English phenomenon. This is actually a global issue. And uh, yeah. no matter where you are in the world, this whole concept of society and bringing people together appears to appeal more and more so now as, as the generations move on uh, to, to a wide range of people. So um, we're hoping this will latch on not just in the UK, but obviously far as far as the field as well. One of the things that I think has always amazed me and really impressed me about, um, you know, events and, and, and getting involved in kind of charitable projects and things is that it is it is led by the people. So I'll give you a great example. And my sister-in-law will probably thank me for doing this. She works for uh, Standard Bank in South Africa, like the largest bank in South Africa. And they got involved in a handful of orphanages with a handful of orphanages. And they were giving them some support. And actually, they were giving some time to kind of say, well, people within the, you know, these departments can go and we'll pay your full salary for X amount of time where you can kind of just go and, and spend time. And if they need some construction work doing, if they need some decorating doing, if they just want you to be there to play with the kids and and, and have some fun, then then that's what you kind of go and do. And they did it and it was, it was a, you know, they continue to kind of give money, but it was a, it felt a little bit like it was a, we've done that now. <laughs> so we're going to move on to the kind of the next thing. But the people who got involved continued to go. And I know this firsthand because my sister-in-law is one of them. Um, and her and my brother-in-law will go, entire members of my family will go, their friends and their friends and family will go. Um, and it's now become a big movement where almost like every couple of weekends they'll go and they'll do like a big barbecue, a big braai. They'll take a load of meat. They'll go to local supermarkets and see what they can get. And they'll just grab a load of stuff and everybody will go down and get involved. But it's the people, right? So the bank were getting involved and then the bank introduced the people and the people kind of took that baton on and said, great, it's ours now. Thank you. We'll take care of it. And with all, without the bank support, they're going to go and do those things. Um, and that's that's what I think is really powerful because you know when these large corporates, for example, kind of just give money to the best known charity that they know about, right? We've done our part now. It's also depriving their employees, the people within their internal community, the ability, as you put it, to feel good because they can they can create feel good feelings for them and for others around them by actually getting involved in these projects and getting involved in things and um. Yeah, that for me is is where the power lies in this is once you introduce people to this they're not gonna it's gonna grow it's not gonna shrink absolutely i'll caveat that because i've, I've come across a very large company i won't name them uh it's a large insurance company and they basically said we, right we've got three days a year you can go and volunteer uh so we're quite pleased with that idea it seemed to it seemed to address the points and it was part of their esg their social value strategy the problem was they told them where to go to volunteer. Right, they weren't okay. volunteering. They were what we call voluntold. Yeah. And when you're voluntold, <laughs> you'll turn up. And it happened to one young young lady who was the daughter of a friend of mine. She was voluntold to go and do some gardening at one of the care homes. She said, I hate gardening with a passion. She said, and she was so annoyed that she'd been sent there as a volunteer. She said, I haven't volunteered. I've been voluntold. So it's getting the spirit of it right. So when corporates do connect their people to the community, Make sure they give them a choice, for goodness sake. Make sure there's a two-way agreement this is going to happen because, as you rightly say, get that bit right and that will perpetuate 
long after the company stops getting involved and the people continue to support. For sure. So really to use the exa- I was going to say, to use the example of your friend's daughter, she's not going to go back and continue to garden once that they're not asking her to do it, is she? Because that's not, that's not what, what, what does it for her. I mean, that sounds more like community service, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got to go do gardening for X amount of hours and, and then you can come back to work. It's like, I didn't even break the law. What did I do? Interesting you mentioned community service, actually. We're doing some work with, uh, or about to start to do some work with one of the uh, prison services. I uh, and parole prisoners um, find it incredibly hard. No matter what you think about what they've done, the idea is we repatriate them into our society. Yep. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Do your time, serve your sentence. But coming out of it, they deserve a little bit of a, if they have reformed, a bit of a kickstart in life. Um, but many of these prisoners, they're given £40 cash in their hand and kicked out the gate. And that's it. And so what happens is they go and spend the £40 on the first night and a meal, end up bereft, they've got no family to go back to, perhaps, and then they return to crime. And so the whole thing is, is the whole cycle that we're trying to break as a society. So take the parole prisoners and put them into a volunteering programme as an alternative to work, which they might find more difficult to get initially, and you build up a almost like a CV, a portfolio of work that you're prepared to do to prove that you've reformed coming out of the custodial sentence and want to get part of society again so we're looking at the way that can work <clears throat> because obviously the the community credits aspect of our platform which is the measurement system built into the middle of it so any act of giving for a business or an individual attracts community credits and it's a running tally and it's the magic in the middle of our system because once you see that number start to go up every time you volunteer you gift you fundraise whatever you have a running tally and the parole prisoners can use that running tally to present themselves as a worthwhile employee in their job as they leave custodial sentence to start to re-enter society in that way. So we've got some experimentation going on with some social um, integration work, uh, and prisons is part of that. And we also got um, rough sleeping. We're addressing specific issues as well. So the platform is being targeted and used to put a, a laser focus on specific social issues and the charities and the business and the individual communities are galvanizing around that, using our platform as a mechanism for delivering it, measuring it, and seeing that wonderful word called impact, which is the end result. I love that. I mean, I, I didn't even know you were doing that, and I absolutely love that because my – I know everybody will have slightly different feelings on this, but my, my feelings towards the criminal justice system is that the reason that we don't just – lock him up and throw away the key is because we believe in rehabilitation the reason that you know prisons are so well funded and, and have the the money and resources that they do is because we believe that people can be rehabilitated but it's, it's as you just said you know if, if the idea is that during in those four walls i mean i appreciate it's plenty more than four walls but it, inside those prison walls you know there is support there is counseling there is guidance there is career counseling there is there are people that you can speak to and 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 you know work on that rehabilitation but then as soon as you're released it's like there's 40 pound off you go i mean you know it's it's very difficult for people uh with a criminal record to become employed so where's this where's the money going to come from you know you're you're essentially lining them up to go back into crime which is why unfortunately the statistics show that there are many repeat offenders um but actually i think what you're doing there is addressing two issues really you're you're yes integrating them back into society and and helping to kind of bridge that gap but it's also the fact that you know and, and let's not put too fine a point on this you know you i'm trying to think of a nice way of saying this because an expression that i can't use 
Um, you don't poop where you eat. Let's use it that way, right? So if you've reintegrated people back into society and they feel like a valued member of the community that's getting involved in things, there's a there's going to be another barrier to them committing crime against that community. But if you feel like you're shunned by a community, that they don't want you there, they have no respect for you, they're not going to help you, you know, where's where's the barrier to stop you reoffending against those people? They don't care about you, so why should you care about them? Yeah, I'm not saying we can fix the problem. I'm saying we can provide a buffer against that situation. So building some volunteering into the rehabilitation aspect of a, of a paroled or released prisoner starts to build a bit of empirical evidence, I suppose, that that person is a real person that's capable of doing something good in life. Therefore, the future employer can look at that and say, oh, I've got this number of community credits on my record, as well as your prisoner's record, of course. Um, I've got some community credits. And that demonstrates my willingness, my ability, my intention to re-enter society and, and yes, I'd like the job, please. So it's that type of, of, um, uh, of, of problem we're trying to address, uh, along with all the other you know, the giving aspects of the, the corporate CSG, et cetera. But there are mm. some very interesting projects coming out of this. And by the way, it wasn't my project. That was one of my customers. Um, they're wow. actually a housing director. So they once they said, Phil, can we use your platform to do this? Uh, because we'd like to organize. And it was their idea. And I said, that's absolutely amazing. Love to help. Love to case study that. And if it works... I should think every every prison in the in the whole of the UK and beyond will be very interested in taking that model a stage further. And of course, all we're doing here is talking about helping a charitable or a social enterprise to do better in the community. So all the work we're doing, we talk about volunteering and gifting and and, and cash donations. Don't forget there has to be an impact. There has to be a positive result on the other side of that. It's society rebalancing. It's trying to help itself, um, and that's really what we're all about. It's the rebalancing. It's the leveling up of our society leveling up society i love it look before we've we're almost at the end actually so i've got to want to ask how people can get involved but before i do i'm curious actually because you mentioned something that's uh that's close to my heart as well as i'm sure it is for many other people can you tell us a little bit about the the project you're doing to to kind of help the rough sleepers and people who are um well sleeping on the streets and the homeless how, what what kind of projects are you working on to kind of empower those people i can do that well to get involved to answer your first question it's really, really easy. You go to investorsincommunity.org. And when the website presents itself, you click sign up. So if you're signing up as a business, you're simply registering your profile. You sign up as a business or you sign up as an individual. To register is free. Businesses are the only people we ask to subscribe, and they do so because they get scale of, of savings on their reporting and their measurements and management. So every individual listening to us today is a free profile. It's your lifetime account of giving. Go and press the sign up button. It takes about three minutes. Fill your name and address in for the purpose of gift aid reclaim if you want to do that. And press the button. You'll get an email, click the activation link, and you're done. And it's literally as simple as that. You then own your lifetime account of giving on our platform. Um, have fun and enjoy it. So that's that's the uh, easy way of getting involved right now. The Rough Sleeping Project was interesting. It was actually one of the councils who identified it, but actually... Rough sleeping uh, is a problem right across the land. Uh, and you usually see it with people literally with sleeping bags, cardboard boxes, and you know, occasionally laid in doorways, for example. And people say, well, we want to fix this because it makes the doorway look unhealthy and it's not good for our, our shopping experience to see people like that. So we, we'd like that removed, please. Um, that's some of the attitudes. But actually, you look at rough sleeping and why it happens. Unbeliving that is possibly substance abuse, certainly mental health issues there's been a history of what happened to people 
Um, I bumped into a lady at um, one of the London, London train stations a few years ago, and she was politely asking people for money. Um, and I did the usual thing in those days. It's about seven or eight years ago now. I said, no, 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 I don't give directly. No, thank you. Uh, and I backed away. But I watched her walk around, and she, she actually thanked me quite effectively for saying those things. Well, she was very polite, and I thought, this is weird. And I watched her, and somebody gave her a handful of, of coins, and she was over the moon. And so I went and talked to her. I said, "What? Why are you? What's your story? You're not you're not the usual you know, person that I would have." Heard. She said, "Well, it's it's quite simple, really." She said, um, six months ago, six months ago, uh, I was a supervisor at a very large call centre in London." And she said, "Then I got made redundant, uh, and then because I didn't have any savings, um, my landlord evicted me a month after that." Um, I said, "Well, surely you got friends and family." She said, "Well." Friends and family are quite situational. I've got no family. My friends said they were my friends for a few weeks, but then they wanted me to leave. Uh, so the sofa wasn't available to me. And I ended up rough sleeping, she said. But six months ago, you just said hello to me in Tesco. She said, I'm not underneath all these clobber. She said, I'm not an attractive person. You might have said hello to me and treated me as a normal human being. But now I'm left in this position. And it did really strike me how thin that line is for many of us um, who come, you know, you lose your income t entirely. And then you lose your home because as a result of it, how many of us can end up on the streets? So there are situational, there is mental health issues, there's possible substance abuse, all these things. And councils and governments um, find it very difficult to untangle those things. So what we did, we said, right, here's the problem in this particular city centre. We enlisted the help of 28 charities around the outside of the city. Uh, we gave them, they, set, they set up specific projects because they're experts in what they do. Some were looking at mental health support, some were looking at substance abuse, et cetera, and they were the experts. So then we lined up the businesses, individuals, and the council, and they funded the charities to apply their services to that specific area. Mm. I'm not saying it's fixed, but it's being addressed, and it's being addressed with a focus and a clarity that's never been had before. And that's been picked up by two more councils now who are working with us uh, using it. exactly the same methods. It's, it's a way of focusing support, and sometimes scattergunning you know, gave a pound to 20 different charities it'll make little difference but if you focus on something that's dear to your heart you can often make a quite a sincere and, and respectful difference to that and that's Absolutely. all we are we're a focusing mechanism around the, um, the, the lens that we look through is is the lens of, of collaboration amongst all the parties mm. i absolutely love it i love the work that you're doing as i said at the beginning and, and i'm i'm uh, yeah, it's it's so powerful, and I can see more and more people, um, both domestically and internationally, getting involved, and 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 quite rightly so. Um, I would actually encourage my listeners who are listening to this now, kind of click on the show notes below, and you'll see the investors in community um, URL. You know, as Phil said, it's only going to take a couple of minutes, and and you know whether you're you're sat there thinking, well, I haven't got the cash to do this right now, or I haven't got the time to volunteer. You can actually just play your part by registering and then sharing this message with other people. Share this podcast, share that link. Uh, you know, it's going to take you three minutes to register uh, on the website, and it's going to take you a further two minutes to pop it onto your social media. So for less than five minutes of activity today, you can feel good and potentially have a very big impact on lots of people's lives. So not going to be a better you know better spent five minutes i mean you'll spend five minutes scrolling through twitter getting angry at the nonsense that's on there so you know spend five minutes doing something powerful and, and do some good there definitely click on that link go and check it out phil um i'd love to have you back uh, probably in, in, in a year or two's time when when it's even bigger and better and doing more things and i'd love to kind of discuss some of the the projects that you're working on at, at that time because I'm, I'm excited to see the progression of in, investors in community and um I, 
it sounds like a weird thing to say because I don't speak for all the people, of course, but um, you know, on behalf of many people out there listening to this and in the community, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. I think it's it's absolutely invaluable, and and I, and I love the platform, love what it's all about, and yeah, well, I think that I wish there was more people like you, my friend. No, it's not me. It's my privilege to to lead a movement of change, and it's not about me. It's about all of your listeners, because you're the ones that are going to make all this happen. I simply provided a means to allow it to take place. So I'm privileged to be in that position. And so there's, there's, I'm, I'm meeting, hum, I'm a humble person in this respect. I, I rely on everybody else who wants to get involved to make this the success in our communities that it needs to be, deserves to be. And in fact, it really has to be if we're going to survive in the next 10 years of change impactful and humble i love it my friend yep thank you everybody so much please get involved uh as phil said it's a great way to 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 feel good and to do good so i'd like to think that many of you listening to this will that will resonate with you and get involved so please do if anybody has any questions for for either me or for phil i'll put our contact details in the description and in the show notes below Uh, until next time take care of yourselves This is Billionaires in Boxes, an award-winning podcast and TV publicist for businesses.